Turn with me, please, to 3 John 2, the um, second verse. We began a number of weeks ago talking about that God's will is success. And in 3 John 2, he said, Beloved, I wish, or other translations say, I, I pray or I desire above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. The Weist translation says, uh, Beloved, in all things I'm praying that you'll be prospering and that you'll be continually having good health just as your soul is prospering. Is it really God's will that not only do we prosper spiritually and soulically, but that we also prosper externally in our bodies, in health, and also in our finances? Is that true? A lot of folks don't believe that, but you'll find ample scriptural evidence of this. In Psalm 35, 27, 35, 27, so let them shout for joy and be glad that what? Favor my righteous cause. Let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Is this true? Does God actually take pleasure when we do well? If he didn't, he would be out of harmony, different from any good father or mother. Is he a good father or not? Well, what good father or mother enjoys seeing their child hurt financially or be in lack or not have what they need? No, every good father or mother is blessed when their child does well, right? What, what parent wouldn't be thrilled and their, their son or their daughter made their first million? Oh, come on, I didn't lose you, did I? Huh? You can tell your neighbors. We say, hey, my boy just made his first million. You think God's not big enough to do that? There are people doing that. Why not your children? <laughs> Said out loud, God takes pleasure in our prosperity. The, the New Century Version says, he loves to see his servants do well. He loves to see his servants do well. So we've talked about this and many other things relative to this. But I want us to go today to 1 Timothy 6 and touch on another aspect. If you and I follow the Lord fully, doing what he tells us to do in these areas, we will increase. No question about it. Now, that doesn't automatically mean You'll live in surplus. You can increase substantially, still not be in surplus. If your spending ratio <laughs> is the same, or your loss ratio is the same or greater, the numbers can get bigger, but you're not really in any better shape. Can you see this? So it actually is, there's more, in, more to it than just 
tithing and sowing and believing and having more come in. That's part of it, but it's not all of it. Let me say it again. If you will put God first in your finances and you'll tithe and sow and give and believe, you will have more come in. I'm telling you, I have seen it for years now. You will have much more come in. But again, that's not, that doesn't assure that you'll be successful, that you'll be doing well. There are other aspects to it. And here is, uh, is one thing. Now, we, we mentioned, I believe it's the Lord in, in this series is endeavoring to qualify us and help us to receive a whole lot more from him for a number of reasons. But uh, two big things that we have to overcome. One is we must believe it is his will. Don't assume you have that. We must believe it's God's will, not only for all our needs to be met, but for us to have much more than we need. Your surplus is your ministry. Do you hear that or not? If it's taking everything you've got just to run you, how much can you do for other people? How much can you do for the preaching of the gospel, for the kingdom, though other people, those that are in need? You, you can't. You've got to have more than you need to have enough for somebody else. If you care about God using you to help preach the gospel and help other people who have needs, you must have way more than enough for you. Come on, sit out loud. I must must have way more more than I need need to help others. others. Thank you, Lord. Lord. So this thing about, well, you know, oh, I don't care about all that. If I've got just enough for me and my family, that's all I care about. We're good. Well, then you don't care about anybody else. You're very selfish, self-centered. Nobody said you had to spend it all on you. Right? (laughs) And the other thing, we have to believe it's God's will for us to have it. And the other thing is we have to overcome covetousness. We must overcome covetousness. Now we've already talked about this. And again, don't assume you don't have any issues with that. Because I assure you, you have coveted stuff before. Mm Mm-hmm. Covet simply means you wanted it too much. It was too important to you. Your priorities weren't right. And when you want it too much, you'll go too far to get it. You'll compromise yourself. People lie. People steal. They even kill to get what they want. But that's being completely ungodlike, unchristlike. The ungodly man or woman is acting like the devil. Doesn't care what it costs you as long as I get what I want. But that's completely ungodly. That's completely the opposite. The law of Christ is he was willing to sacrifice everything so we could get what we needed. Come on, can you see that? 
And that love that's, that he is has been shed abroad in our hearts. And if we'll let that dominate us, we're the same way. We're willing to do without. We're willing to sacrifice if it helps you. Now, just doing without to show how holy I am is ridiculous. Now, you, you laugh, but there's a lot of people doing it. There are a lot of people doing it. But you, also, you always need to be asking your question, who is this helping? Now, if I'm doing without and you're getting helped because of it, that's Christ-like. If I'm doing without to show you how spiritual I am, I'm just dumb. But you must be willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others, for the benefit of the kingdom. If not, you care more about the stuff than you do the people. And that's covetousness, which is, the scripture says, is idolatry. Now notice in 1 Timothy 6. Y'all with me today? In fact, let's just pray another prayer right here and release faith. Now, um, I, I know, you know, we may go a little longer than the church you used to go to. But the 20 minute message, what's the precedent for that? What is that based on? And it's becoming more and more popular to shorten the service, shorten the service, shorten the service. We can, it's bragging rights of churches now. We can get you in and out in 30 minutes. <laughs> well, obviously that's not happening here. But is that the objective? To see how quick we can get in and out and check the box and say, I went. Now, don't raise a hand. Don't, no, don't raise a hand. But how many people nowadays have no problem going to the movies for two hours? I mean, never even cross their mind. That ain't even counting the time to get the popcorn and the drink and all that. So you easily blow three hours, oh, yeah. right? right? Going to a movie and not one complaint. Not one complaint, but what about church? Well, see, that's, that's wrong thinking. And man, if you read the scriptures, there are times Jesus administered to the people for three days. Not three hours. Three days. That's when they had to have the multiplying of the fishes and loaves. Nobody had anything to eat out there. There are times uh, Paul preached all night long. All night long. Remember the guy was sitting in the window? Fell asleep. During Paul's sermon, fell out the window. And had to be raised from the dead. <laughs> no 20-minute messages to be found. Uh-oh. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I'm sure I have gone too long at times. But you've got to watch about seeing how quick you can get in and out. Did you get anything? Did you accomplish anything? If not, why are you even going? <laughs> Selah. <laughs> so, uh, if you think I could, you know, get it wrapped up a little quicker, pray for me. <laughs> 
I'm serious. I, I'm open. If I, you know, I can do it better. But I, I will tell you this. It's also affected by the hearer. If you catch it and understand it and get it quicker, I can move quicker. I've done it before. But when you need to go over the same thing three and four times, it takes longer. I don't mind doing it, but don't just point a finger at me and say, well, you just... <laughs> the things of God are real. They're real. And these things are either being accomplished or they're not. If all we're doing is trying to check a box and say we went to church, then you're missing it big time. And obviously that's not what we're trying to do here. 1 Timothy 6, did you get there? Verse uh, 6, 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, If you weren't with us, let me encourage you. You can go back and get the previous messages. You can go online the quickest, easiest way. And it won't cost you anything to get it. But one of the things that we saw, how to identify covetousness, that's the situation when you are not content. When you're saying, yeah, I have Jesus, and I know he's with me, never leaves me, and forsakes me. But I'm not complete Unless I get that car. I can't be happy and satisfied. In other words, I'm not content. I'm not satisfied in my heart and my soul until I get that house. Then you're being deceived. And we've all had some of this now. But because what the truth is, if you get that house, it won't be long. It'll be something else. And there will always be something else. If you're not content in God right here and now, you never will be no matter what else you get in life. And the truth is, if you're not content in God, you can't enjoy a new car like you should. You can't enjoy the new house. The eyes of man, the scripture said, are never satisfied. And if you follow that, You can always be longing for the next, newest, latest, greatest, biggest, bestest, whatever. There will always be something else. But the scripture says you are complete in him. When is that? Now. Right now. Come on, say it out loud. I am complete in him. In him. I don't need one more dollar. To make me complete. I don't need another car. Or a better place to live. Come on are y'all with me? Or somebody to acknowledge me. Or success in my career or profession. I can have some more of those things. But they will never make me complete. I don't have to wait. To get that to be complete. Everything I needed to make me complete. The Lord has done. He bought it. He paid for it. He accomplished it. He gave it to me. When I received him. I became a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. And my good stuff is not even down here. It's over there. Is that right? 
My good stuff is not even here. When that's real to you, you don't get so upset about this stuff. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain. Everybody say certain. 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 We can carry nothing out. Come on, say it out loud. It is certain. We can carry nothing out. Certain. You're not taking one thing with you when you leave here. And soon and very soon, you will leave here. Now, if the Lord tears his coming, his time, a few minutes, God time, that's longer than your life and mine will be. There are 150-some thousand people will leave this planet today. That's every 24-hour cycle. Almost two people every two seconds or or so. 1.7, I think it is. But so, two more. Two more. Two more people leaving the planet. One of these days, it's going to be me and you. (laughs) Huh? We're out of here. And that shouldn't be a shock to us. I mean, people act like they're going to live down here forever. And, and they know nobody from the 1600s is still here. <laughs> Not a one. So in a few more years, the Lord tears is coming. Not a one of us will be here. Why am I saying that? Then all of the stuff that we had is not going to go with us. So, past this life, who will know what we had down here in this life or care? If you were a multi-billionaire, it doesn't make you anything past this life. If you were a trillionaire, if you were the richest man or woman on the planet and you owned, you know, I know of a guy right now, he owns a million acres of land. <laughs> he owns a million acres of land. Well, that ain't going to mean anything to him in a few days. He's not going to own it when he gets out of here. And all the money that he has, I'm not knocking it at all, but who's going to know? Being the most famous person, being the most powerful person, being the richest person in this life makes you nothing with God. It makes you nobody in the kingdom. It makes you nobody in heaven. I didn't say you wouldn't be. I'm just saying that alone doesn't make you anybody. And you cannot take it with you. It is certain. (laughs) It is certain. We need to keep this in our mind. We need to stay aware of this. Everything, money, stuff is only to be used for a little while. None of it is a permanent possession. Well, I'm going to keep it and and my children will have it and their children will have it. They may not even want it. (laughs) They may sell it two days after you're gone. You might as well go ahead and break out that good china now. Come on. What, what are you saving it for? 
don't you see people scrimp and save and won't use and won't touch it for what? Come on, say it's certain. certain. We can carry nothing out. out. Mm -mm. Now look with me in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. You go to 1 Corinthians 11, please, in the uh, 16th verse it is. And also put up on the screen for us right now Luke 12, 15. You're going to 1 Corinthians. Please put up Luke 12, 15 on the screen. Jesus said this. We've already seen this in this study, but I want us to look at it again. He said, take heed. We might say today, watch out. Watch out. And beware. Of what? Covetousness. Now this, Jesus said this. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. That's the same thing we're talking about. It doesn't make you anything to have a super expensive car or to have a big house. Not saying they're not nice, not saying you couldn't enjoy it, but it doesn't make you anything. And the reason I say that is because in this world, so many people, because they're insecure, many of them are not even in Christ, and many of the ones who are in Christ don't know who they are in Christ, so they cling to external things for their identity. The Lord gave me a a series on this some uh, years ago. Anybody remember what the title of that was about? Precious in his sight. And we talked about place and what your identity is in. Thank you, sir. Yeah. And uh, if you're an athlete, let's say, you're and you're good at it, your whole identity can be in your athletic ability. You are a football player. You are a track star. You are an Olympic athlete. But your body can only maintain that for a very limited amount of time and if you get injured or when, not if, you get older and you can't, you're not able to perform at that same level and somebody else now has a quicker time than you, a lot of people go through a complete identity crisis because without being the best at that, they don't know who they are. They don't know what they are. And, and like the same thing, many people, their identity is in their stuff. Who are you? I'm the guy that has a fast car. <laughs> I'm Speedy Jim. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the woman that has the big house. You know, I'm, I'm this and that. Well, that is being so foolish. Because... When something changes with the stuff, then you won't know who you are. Without that, you don't know who you are. But say it again, I am complete. I am complete. In Him. him. See, people say the same thing about marriage, you know, that you complete me. I can't be complete without them. And you hear people saying, oh, I, I, I don't think I could live without them. How often does it happen that husbands and wives go home to be with the Lord on the same day? 
So somebody's going to get to hang around a little longer. So you best not be saying, I can't live without them unless you want to get hit with this giant identity crisis. Come on, are y'all with me? And meltdown. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And in him and with him, you can do all things. Through the anointed one. I can. Yeah, you'll miss them. Yeah, you can shed some tears. But you don't have to come apart. You, you don't have to become unfunctioning. He can give you strength. He can bolster you up. And you can, it can be real to you that you're going to see them again real soon anyway. And I can make it a little while. And besides that, get busy. It helps the time pass. I need to say that again. Get busy. Get busy. It helps the time pass. Busy doing something that's worthwhile. Worthwhile for the kingdom, for the church. First Corinthians, are you there? 11th chapter in about verse, uh, let's look at uh, 15. 11, 15. 16 is the one. Don't think I'll preach on hair today. <laughs> Just go ahead and go to 17. <laughs> he said, now in this that I declare to you, Spirit of God through Paul said, I praise you not, not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. You know, there's some gatherings, and this was something they were calling spiritual. We'd call this a service. And basically he's saying, you'd have been better off if you hadn't even done it, hadn't even come together. There are services, church services. Would have been better off not to have had. People were worse off after they came to the service <laughs> than before they came. Now it ought not be. I pray it's not that way at Faith Life Church. But there are cases where the people would have been better off if they hadn't had the service. He said, you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Verse 18, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Divisions having to do with cliques is one word that a modern translation uses, cliques and groups. He said, you're a, I hear that you divide off into groups. Verse 19. There must be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. That's another message. When you come together into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now they were calling it that and he's telling them it's not. What you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. Keep going. For in eating, everyone takes before other his own supper. One's hungry, another's drunk. What? <laughs> Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God? How many know uh, the church should not have a flea market atmosphere? 
or a club atmosphere. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have fun. doesn't mean you can't be relaxed. But you should show some respect. And part of the way you show respect is doing the best you can. The Lord said, those that honor me, I'll honor. And honoring him involves having his priorities. Well, one of his biggest priorities are his kids, his people. Not just you, but all his kids. And if you love him, you love his kids. He said, you don't, don't you have houses? Now you can preach on that too. Church at Corinth had houses. Don't you have houses? <laughs> the Holy Spirit inspired that we're supposed to have houses. Don't you, don't you have houses? You need a house to eat and drink in. It is written. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or despise you the church of God? Now get this phrase. And do what? Shame them that have not. Shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. He's not happy with them. Can you see this? More importantly, the Spirit of God speaking through him is not happy with them. Why was this recorded for all subsequent generations? Say that phrase out loud. Don't shame those who don't have. The Weiss translation says it like this. It says, do you not have houses for eating and drinking? Are the church of God are despising? Are you making those ashamed who do not have the means? Making those ashamed who don't have the means. Now, two big things we want to see in this. You don't have to be and you should not be ashamed for plenty, for prosperity, for blessings that you got the right way. Now, if you lied and got it and stole and got it and took it away from somebody else, well, yeah, that ain't nothing to be proud of. You need to repent, right? But if it came the right way and the Lord added it to you, there's nothing for you to be ashamed of if you have a lot more than someone else. Nor do you owe it to give them something because you have more than they do. Thank you for those two, two responses. You do not owe somebody something simply because you have more than they do. No, you don't. No, you don't. People say, well, you have so much, you owe it to them. No, no, I don't, nor do you. The truth is, we all have the same source Never are you to look to another man or woman as your source, ever. And to look at somebody that has a lot and think they owe you something 
is to covet what they have. You're coveting their stuff. And I mean all the way back to the Ten Commandments. The Lord said you don't covet your neighbor's donkey or his house or his wife. Is that right? Or anything. That's your neighbor's. You don't let yourself long for it and desire it. And if God's all of our source, I don't have to look to anybody else. I don't have to beg anybody else. I don't have to grovel. Oh, it's wonderful. It's to be free. I don't have to pull on anybody. I can look straight to him. He'll take care of me. Now he deals, he uses people. He'll deal with people, but that's him dealing with them, not you. Big difference. So no, I don't care if you've got a thousand times more than this other person. If you got it the right way, there's no reason for you to be ashamed of what you've got. And nor do you feel like you owe them something because you have more. Now you want to be willing to do whatever the Lord tells you to do. Right? If he directs you to do something for them, you're ready. You're willing but if somebody starts coming across to you like you owe it to me, you know that's wrong. Amen. They are thinking wrong. They ought not be looking at you. You can't be anybody's source. You're not big enough. You'll never have enough. You could give every penny you've got. It'd hardly make a drop in the bucket difference in the needs of the world. Come on, y'all listening to me. You cannot, no man, no government, nobody can be the source except the source. And Doing things for people in need will not save you. In fact, the Bible said you can give everything you got. 1 Corinthians 13, you can give everything you got. And if it wasn't in the right heart and motive, it profits you nothing. But at the same time, you do not want your actions and being unthinking and uncaring to embarrass other people who have less than you. And that's in every walk of life. I mean, there are people you have ten times more than they do. There are other people got ten times more than you do. It's true both directions all the time. But love is aware of my, the impact of my words and actions on others. So many people go through life completely unaware. They act like it's their world. And other people are in the way. <laughs> and they just say and do whatever they feel and think. And act like they're the only ones that's got something to do today. And are, you know have no, no awareness of what their actions are doing to other people or what their words, the impact or effect it's having on others. A godly man or woman is not this way. A godly man or woman is aware. And the Spirit of God will help you. Even things you'd have never caught or never figured out, the Spirit of God will prompt you and say, you don't need to bring that up around them right now. And just uh, don't, don't talk about that right now. And, and uh, you don't need to wear the big ring over there today. <laughs> yeah. In fact, don't take the new Cadillac 
take your work truck, you know, take, go, in, go in the pickup today. Not that you're ashamed of it, not that you're trying to hide it, but the Spirit of God just knows with them today, that's where they are. Can you see this? Just an awareness. And what they were doing is showing off. Showing off. Phyllis calls it show and tell. <laughs> I think that refers to something else, but don't tell her that because it's show and tell. And what that's referring to is 1 John 2.15. It talks about the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. The pride of life The Bible said it's of the world, it's not of the Father. And if you love the world and love all this, it's a sign you don't love God. One says the ostentatiousness of the the world, the pride of life. Or one talks about showiness. And one talks about, one translation talks about showing what you have and what you've done. And... The enemy can use these attempts to show off to berate people who are not there. Maybe you're not trying to say it and do it purposely, but the enemy will come and say, see, you're you're a failure. You've got none of that. You hadn't been able to do any of that. Look at you. You're such a failure. You're such a nothing. He's a demeanor. He's a devaluer. He dishonors, the devil does, all the time. And you don't want to let him use anything you're saying or doing as as a tool. You never want anybody around you intimidated by your blessing. You want them inspired. Somebody say inspired. 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 And if you're trying to show off, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be intimidating. The enemy has something to work with. If you'll follow the leading of the Spirit, it won't be intimidating. It'll be inspiring. It'll be inspiring. I know I learned something about this many years ago. I mean, I guess this is pushing 30 years ago now. Uh, one of the first cars that Phyllis and I believed for uh, was a used car. It was a Oldsmobile Toronado. You know what a Toronado was? It, it was a two-door, black and silver with wire wheels. It was it was sharp. Somebody said Oldsmobile. Yeah, they used to make Oldsmobiles, and they were great cars. Well, it was used, but it looked real good. And uh, I drove it, I, I was already in the ministry, I drove it to the place where I was ministering on a daily basis, and one of the guys that helped me, he came out and he said, uh, whoa, what ca- whose car is this? I said, this is our car. He said, man, man, man. He said, how'd you get this? I said, uh, I, said uh, I believed for it. And uh, he said, man, that's great, that's great. And so I went on in, and boy, something bothered me in my spirit. 
about that, that little encounter he and I had. And uh, later on, I was praying about the service, and I got quiet, and that came back up to me. I said, Lord, is something wrong on that? What, what, what was that? And, and just like that, the conversation was replayed in my mind, and I heard myself say, I believed for that. And I thought, well, I, okay. I, I, I did, didn't I? And, uh, and then the Lord began to minister to me. He said, uh, he said, how'd you get the faith to believe for that? I said, well, faith comes by hearing your word. He said, and who revealed the word to you? I said, well, it was you. And he said, uh, whose, whose faith is it? I said, well, it's, it's your faith. And he said, well, uh, he said, and, and did you and Phyllis, you know, were you tempted to give up a time or two before it, it came to pass? And, and I said, yeah. And he said, and didn't uh, I inspired people to preach on things that helped you and boosted your faith during that time? I said, yes, sir. And he said, and, and who actually brought it to pass? Because to come in, I said, you, you did. <laughs> he said, he said, my faith, my word, my spirit, my sustaining my confirming the word, and you didn't even mention me. All you said was, I believe for it. I repented. I said, Lord, that's not right. He said, that's, that's only part of it. He said, that young man left impressed with your faith. Doesn't put him any closer to having that same thing happen for him because the enemy will come tell him well yeah brother Keith has faith but you don't have faith like that and so you know that's not he said I want to do the same thing for him is that true or not I want to do the same thing for him and if you had said it right he would have left impressed with me come on is that right and, know, and, and knowing that I will do the same thing for him. Does it matter what we say and, and how we talk about things and how we refer and how we describe? If people are, you know, intimidated by it, then something wasn't done right. Amen. But if the Lord really did it and then we talk about it the way he shows us to talk about it, people won't be intimidated. They'll be inspired. They'll be stirred up to think, I can get that too. I can have that too. Or better. Yes. Right? Amen. And there have been, I've had people, when I'm teaching on prosperity and abundance, that have said, well, you know, I'm glad you're doing good, Brother Keith, but I'm not doing good. And don't forget us poor people, you know, I mean, we need help too. It hurt my heart to hear that kind of thing because that's why I'm preaching. That's why I'm preaching. Not too long ago, Phyllis and I were so broke, we didn't know what to do. And the Lord helped us. And that's what we're talking about. But the thing is, people do identify with this. I noticed, uh, you know, (laughs) do I even get into this? You know the term fat shaming? Fat shaming. Shaming fat. Well, it has to do with people shaming somebody because they're overweight. 
You know, the very phrase, shame on you, is an evil phrase. Get it out of your vocabulary. You should never say to somebody, shame on you. It's the enemy who's trying to put condemnation on people, not God. Jesus has gone to great lengths, so we don't have shame on us. But, well, you know, I, I got some extra myself. Wait. And, uh, but the Lord helped me to, showed me to see if you want to get rid of it, you can't identify with it. You can't, what, what do you mean? If somebody says something about being fat, and you go, you're talking about me. <laughs> what are you going to talk about me for? You have just completely identified with the fat. And you're saying, the fat and I are one. You don't like the fat. You don't like me because fat and I are one. That means you will never get rid of it. You have to take sides against it. You, you have to say, that's not me. That's just some extra pounds that have found their way onto me. But that's not me. That's not who I am. It's not what I am. And if you see it like that, then you don't get so hurt if somebody says something about the fat. Well, maybe they shouldn't be saying it, but, but if they say they don't like the fat, you go, yeah, I'm against it too. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In Arkansas, there's a saying, you fur or again? You fur it or again it? Well, things that are not good for you, you need to be again. Against it. Not not hug yourself and go, who are you talking about me? Did they say fat? That's me. (laughs) Identification is a big deal. What you identify with is what you are stuck with. The change doesn't happen first externally. It happens first inside. And the same thing is true with poor shaming. Poor shaming. When you hear poor, you do not need to think, what are you talking about me for? Those poor folks need help too. The Bible doesn't say you're poor. Your words are stout against his words. The scripture said, though he was rich, Yet he, for your sakes, he became poor so that you through his poverty might be rich. Did he do it? Did he accomplish it? Then is God calling you poor? Then why should you call yourself poor? Faith calls those things that be not as though they were. Get rid of the fat jokes. Get rid of the broke jokes. Come on, guys. Don't, don't let this just pass over your head. Ah, I don't know what that preacher's talking about. You better be listening now. Unless you just want to stay where you are and never have any improvement and changes, stop joking about it. Stop it. Stop joking about being broke. Stop joking about being poor. Stop joking about fat. Stop joking about all those things 
and call those things that be not. Come on. As though they were. Let the weak say. Let the weak make jokes about how weak they are. Ha ha ha. Ain't it funny? I'm so weak I can't even do this. I'm so weak. How weak are you? I'm so weak. Even though people are laughing, you're being a fool. Let the weak say. Come on, come on, come on. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Let the sick say, I'm healed. Let the broke say, I'm rich. Put your words on it. Don't identify with the weakness or the failure. Identify with Christ. Who you are in him. Makes all the difference. Glory to God. Let me, uh, let me read to you from the book of Proverbs just a little bit. Just a few verses. Proverbs 14.31. I'm just going to go through two or three verses in Proverbs. Because in the New Testament he said, Don't shame those who don't have it. There should be zero showing off. There are times you need to walk up behind yourself, you know, figuratively speaking, and listen to yourself. And go, why are you telling them that? Why did you bring that up? Why are you talking about that? I mean, I caught myself just a couple of weeks ago. I was telling something, and when I got through, I thought, why did you tell that? Why did you bring that up? You, and if you'll be honest with yourself, seeking to impress. That's ungodly. I said that's ungodly. And the enemy can use things like that to try to intimidate people and shame them. Make them feel bad. Because they haven't experienced this yet. Or they don't have this yet. Or it's not compassion. It's not caring. He that oppresses the poor does what? Reproaches his maker. But he that honors him, honors the Lord, does what? Has mercy on the poor. Proverbs 17.5. Proverbs 17.5 says, Whoso mocks the poor does what? Reproaches his maker. Now, mocking is what we're just talking about. You'd call it jokes. People make jokes. They see people maybe that are, you know, they're not dressed well or they're hurting or they they're not hadn't been able to keep their self in a certain way because of just terrible living conditions and, and this and that. It's evil to make fun of people. Except for the grace of God, you'd be worse off than that. And it can happen. I don't care how much you got. In this world, you can lose it all tomorrow. You can be in a ditch next week, I'm telling you. Except for the Lord keeping you. And if you care about people, you don't think it's funny that they're hurting. You want them out. You want them to come up. You want them to come out. He that's glad at calamities shall not be unpunished. God's Word translation says... This is 17.5. Whoever makes fun of a poor person insults his maker. Whoever's happy to see someone's distress 
will not escape punishment. I don't care if they did terrible things to you. If you thought they're the worst enemy that you ever had and they wind up losing everything they've got and sleeping in a cardboard box, you better not laugh. You better not say, well, good enough for them because you are opening yourself up to judgment. Love doesn't want to see anybody hungry. Love doesn't want to see anybody without a place to sleep. Now you don't take the weight of the world on your shoulders and think that you can become everybody's source. You can't. Not ever going to become close to it. They're not supposed to. But you can be one of the many that God uses. He can tap on the shoulder and say, go help them with this. Go do this. Go do that. I mean, Phyllis and I, back a few days before the conference there in Branson, that thing came up about that minister's wife. The, the, the widow and um, I, I told her when I talked to her I said you must have been believing God and of course she was and at that point we and you that sowed became one of the ones that could help relieve and, and bless and minister some things well this should be happening in our lives on a regular basis and the more we got the more we can do not out of guilt we're not ashamed of what the Lord blessed us with Amen. we don't feel like we owe you something because we got more than you. But we care. <laughs> I said we do care. If you're hurting and don't have it. And we're on the ready. Is that right? If the Lord says do it. We'll do it. If he says clean out the account. We will do it. We've done it repeatedly. And if you're really being led by him. It won't stay empty long. Here it'll come. Multiplied. Come right back in. <laughs> There's a lot of wrong thinking about these things out there. Proverbs 19.17. 19.17 says, He that has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. The Lord treats it as a personal loan to him. And he says that which he's given, he'll pay him back again. It's never going to cost you a dime to give to people in need as he directs you. Because the Lord himself has said, I t- it's just like a personal loan to me, he said. I will repay it. I'll pay. The Lord said he would pay you back. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Look at Proverbs 28.6. Well, actually, for time's sake, 28-27. 28-27. He that gives to the poor, what? Shall not lack. Shall not lack. What do you mean? If you let God use you to help somebody that's in a real dire circumstance, that is a prevention from you ever getting in that circumstance. Oh, did you hear that or not? Come on. Huh? Not ever getting in that circumstance. Because you let the Lord use you to help them either avoid it or get out of it. Then that's the Lord says, you won't lack. You won't get there. It's sowing and reaping. I said it's sowing and reaping. Psalm 41.1. Psalm 41.1 says, blessed is he that considers the poor, the Lord will deliver him 
in time of trouble. You helped somebody when they were in trouble. Anything comes up for you, God's going to be right there. He never forgets. Listen to the NET, the New English version of this. It says, how blessed is the one who treats the poor properly. Now see what was happening. They called it the Lord's Supper. But people were coming in there with these feasts. I mean, they had roasted turkeys. They had, you know, casseroles. And they had fresh baked bread. And they put on this big feast and all this silverware or whatever. And then they had a guy over here in the corner has nothing, some crackers and some stuff. And they're over there with all this stuff. And he's over there feeling like he's nobody and got nothing. And nobody offered to share. It was a clique thing. You're not in the clique. This is a big table over here. You can't sit at the big table. We know James talks about that same thing, didn't he? He talked about being a respecter of persons. People coming in and he said, uh, treating somebody big because they're rich. And saying, here, you come on up on the front row and we got you a seat. And, and somebody come in that didn't have anything and said, well, we don't have a seat for you. You just sit on the floor right there in the back. And boy, the Lord, the Spirit of God reproved them. You don't show the poor preferential treatment because they're poor. I don't know if you heard that or not. But nor do you show the rich preferential treatment because they're rich. Let me give you a scripture for it so you know it's just not my thinking. Leviticus 19.15. Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. You shall not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. You don't. See, people go too far the other way too, don't they? Oh, are we going to treat the poor better than everybody else? He didn't say do that. Didn't say do that. But nor do, I've seen churches because people were, had wealth or because they were known that they gave them preeminent place, even brought them up to the platform to do things and they weren't even saved. They're not, even, they're not godly people. I don't care who you are in this world, it doesn't make you anything in the church. It doesn't make you anything in the kingdom of God. And you're not taking a stick of it out of here with you. So we want to be like the Lord. No respecter of persons. We don't treat people better because they have a lot. We don't treat people worse because they don't. You just genuinely care about people. No matter who they are. No matter where they come from. No matter what they've got. Or what they don't have. And if the Lord deals with you to give something to somebody that has a lot, you'll do it. If he deals with you to give somebody that has nothing, you'll do that. Right? You can't get it right by reasoning and by your head. You'll never know enough. But the Spirit of God in you, he knows men's hearts and what's going to be in the future. And if you'll follow his leading, you'll get it right. Every time, it's the only way to get it right. Can you say thank you, Lord? Stand on your feet, please. Praise be to God. Let's pray a prayer. Ask the Lord.
to show us on this. There's an, there's an awareness, spiritual awareness. What's going on in people around about you. I'm not saying you let other people's emotions and whatever dictate your life. I'm not saying that. But if we just follow the leading of the Spirit, He'll check us, lest we shame those who have not. And He'll show us how to say and do things when we need to, so that instead of somebody being intimidated by something, they'll actually be inspired. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pray this out loud if you mean it in your heart. Say, Father God, God, forgive us. For being foolish, or unaware, saying and doing things that the enemy could use to intimidate, to shame people. That's not our heart. That's not my desire. Teach me. Show me how. I ask for your wisdom. I ask for grace to know what to say and do, what not to say and do, how to say things, how to not show off, not seek attention, not seek glory for myself. That's devilish. But to seek your glory and to give you honor. And to do that, say that, you could use to inspire, to encourage, to help, to bless. We ask for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.